0: Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Uh, our Bible reading for tonight is uh, Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. It says this, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, two female servants and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford at Jabok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he was wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon.
1: Well, good evening. Have we all sanitized? Everyone's sanitized. <laughs> it's that sort of week, isn't it? We've like been shaking hands this week, this morning with people, we just... We started doing box dancing moves with people. I don't know know if it's an elbow or something like that, but all I can say uh, tonight is that uh, I've sanitised my hands, so welcome to Northside. Uh, I'm Sam, one of the team here, if we haven't met before. uh, We're in interesting times, aren't we? Uh, Certainly with the week that we've all had and the news that keeps spinning around. And uh, ironically, with the sort of week and the sort of season that we're moving into, in many ways, I'm sort of glad that we ditched the Vision Series (laughs) Uh, if, you, if you sort of don't know, you haven't been in church circles, often March is that time where you do the vision series and often it's that time when we pastors and the rest of the church, we turn the volume up and try and get everyone amped for the year and we would talk vision and talk strategies and, and uh, if you are with us last week, you would have heard uh, that I decided that we would ditch that at the last minute, uh, mainly number one because we've already got a sense of vision and we'll continue to um, shoot out to you this week um, just, just what God is doing amongst us and, and the strategies that we've got in place as a church as we're continuing to move forward into his plans. Um, but really, this whole series right, came out of my heart that, uh, that I realised off the back of long service leave uh, that as I was hanging with my, my little kitties, uh, I, the, the thing I noticed the most was that uh, my, my kids couldn't care less what our itinerary was going to be on long service leave. You know how kids are like that? They just say, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? They, they couldn't care less about what our itinerary was. What they were most interested in was my presence. And uh, really that's analogous to where I want to take us this year with this message, presence, um, that in all of the things that are going to pop up for us this year, both in our own lives but broadly around the world, uh, the, the, it's, it's analogous that uh, really if the greatest gift to my kids was my presence, then I believe the greatest gift for our church is our Father, our Father God's presence into this place, right? And that's that came to me in a, in a verse a couple of weeks ago where Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't send us up from here. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And so it's this that look we could talk strategies until the cows come home uh, throughout the month of, month of March. But but I'm with Moses, like unless God is with us this year, particularly in light of what we're going to face, um, then I'm out. <laughs> I don't want to go. I don't want to to move forward. I don't want to do what we're doing unless he is with us. And so that's why I believe that he's speaking to our church, this word presence. I don't often talk like that, but I believe that's a word for our church this year, presence. And we're going to spend these four weeks just exploring like the way that you would look at a diamond. uh, The refracted elements of what this word means Uh, Last week, we looked at Moses and his yearning for God's presence. Tonight, we're going to look at Jacob and his wrestling with God's presence. Next week, we're going to look at the apostles and the corporate experience of God's presence. When they did church, the place shook. And then most importantly, in week four, we're going to look at Jesus and the personal ministry of presence. Because I, I can't wait for that message. Because I think the gift of presence in a society that's so distracted is probably the greatest gift that we could give our friends and our family around us, right? But tonight I want, to talk about, I want to talk about the wrestling God. Tonight's passage shows us that, as Muhammad Ali would say, God's a wrestler. He's a wrestler. He's a, re- He's a wrestling God, which, you know what, I, I don't think that that's the way that a lot of people think about God when they think about the presence of God. Like I was saying last week, that often how we think of the presence of God is some sort of soothing life force. That we experience when we're out in nature. But that's not what Rudolf Otto, a sociologist uh, who studied all of the ancient religions, including Judaism, which was the religion at the time of the story of Jacob. Uh, When when he studied all of the old religions, if you asked anyone in the ancient world what the presence of God, God is like, they would say to you that the presence of God is dangerous. It's, it's, it's not soothing, it's, it's dangerous. It's like in, the, uh, in that book, The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Uh, someone asks about the Christ figure, Aslan, Aslan the lion, and they say, is he safe? Is he safe? And one of the kids replies, of course he's not safe, but he's good. And that's what we see in this passage tonight. Of course this God that Jacob deals with is not safe, he's God. He's not safe, but he's, he's good. And that's why after he's done wrestling with him, Jacob, Jacob ends up on, on permanent center link at the end of his encounter with this, this presence with God. Ends up on a disability pension for the, for the rest of his life because it says that his hip was wrenched from his socket. And Jacob goes away rejoicing. You know, what, what sort of scenario do we have where someone wrestles with God and then walks away rejoicing? Why was he so happy about it? And I think it's this, and this is a big idea I want to I want to talk to you guys tonight. Uh, I think really what we'll find from this passage tonight is that God has to wrestle you into a transformed life. Maybe I'm already preaching to the choir here. Maybe this has already been your experience. Maybe, maybe you already understand this, but God's got to wrestle you into a transformed life. If you want real change, you've got to be wrestled. And I, you know, ironically, you know, I got a bit raw and vulnerable last week. Won't go as deep tonight. <laughs> we'll sort of keep it up here. It's fine if that's all right with you. You know, we're all friends. You sort of do that every now and then. But ironically, um, ironically, it's been, it's been wonderfully affirming uh, as, a, as a church family. It is a safe space. And to have a bunch of people shoot messages this week and they say, hey, Sam, look, thanks, thanks for just being real. You know, I've been going through the same thing with my faith. Um, thanks for being real. On the other side of the coin, you know, I'm sure there were a bunch of people after what I shared last week that thought, how can a pastor possibly let himself get into such a spiritual situation that he's spiritually dry? And I'm sure that's probably part of the arguments out there, right? Um, to which my answer to that would be yeah, of course, that can happen to a pastor, and it can happen to any of us here because we're all Christians. And last time I checked, Christianity is a bar fight. Christianity is a bar fight. You know, once I was at, at the Newport Arms up on the northern beaches, it was Christmas Eve, it was my wilder days. So I was up there um, with the boys. <laughs> And, um, and a fight breaks out up at the Newport Arms, and like there are, there are tables being flipped, and there's drinks being kicked everywhere, and, and this, this fight's going on around us, and everyone's shuffling and screaming, and then suddenly everyone ducks into the inside of the Newey Arms, and everything goes peacefully quiet. And the Christian life is exactly like that bar fight. You know, when before you know God, before you know God, the fight's on the outside, and it's obvious. When, you've, when you find God and you discover God, there's still a fight, but the fight's just on the inside. Have you discovered that? <laughs> Which is why if you're not yet a Christian here tonight and you're looking around and you're thinking, all of these people, they're just wonderfully quiet. You know, um, well, part of it's because, yeah, it's getting to 6.30 and they're already thinking about going to sleep. It's been a big week. <laughs> but the other side of it is the fight for most of us is on the inside. Christianity's a bar fight. It's a wrestle. It's a wrestle, and when, when you when you see Jacob's story, when you see uh, the way that he encounters God, we find that that the presence of God that he's encountered is one that's a, a wrestle. Which on one hand is is on one hand that is the best news for some of you tonight, because maybe you've been wrestling with God. Maybe you think that your faith is not big enough, or you're struggling, and you're the sort of person who thinks I've got all these doubts. Uh, I'm I'm only just holding on by a thread. And maybe this will be the best news for you tonight, that if that is you, then uh, you're, not, you're not spiritually in trouble. You're spiritually alive. The Christian life is about wrestling. On the other hand, for a lot of us too, that's probably the worst news that we could receive. Uh, because I don't know about you, but I just like to be comfortable. I, I, I want to be, be comfortable. And particularly, isn't that... Let me put it this way. Isn't there a latent anxiety underneath the service for all of us this week with this whole coronavirus stuff? And all the talk of economic challenges and getting locked into isolation, all that sort of thing. I think for, for most of, it is, of us, if you're like me, uh, we're anxious because we're seeing a threat to our comfort. Dallas Willard says the drive of the human heart outside of God is one that's just towards comfort. And as a result, often the way that we want to encounter the presence of God is like, God, can you just show up in my life in order to give me sort of a, a soothing peace, God, can you turn up so you can be like the special spray that they give you at halftime at soccer when you played soccer as a kid, right? Is it just me that's been guilty of treating God like that from time to time? And, and, and yet, time and time again, I see people in this place who, who just deal with the rawness of what their faith looks like. Now, cancer turned up in my life and I was so angry with God. I've been wrestling through an addiction all of my life and I've, I've wondered where <coughs> God is in the midst of all of this. I've I've lost a I've lost a child and I'm wondering what is God doing in all of this? Like this some of this stuff is people just emailed me this week. It's real for us. Christianity is a bar fight. It's a it's a wrestle. It's a wrestle, but it's a wrestle that can change you for the good. All right? Is that is that Is that fine to be be that up front? It's a a wrestle that can change us for the good. And we see that in in Jacob's story. It changes him so much. It changes his name from being grabber through to Israel wrestled with God. And it's one of the most climactic stories in the Bible. And it's one that has him leaping for joy. Here's here's the way that the story goes. Let me share it with you so you can get a sense of what's going on. Uh, Basically, uh, we're talking about Jacob here, who who is the grandson of Abraham. So we're early in the Bible. If you know the biblical story, God says to Abraham, "I will bless all of your people through your descendants." And so you have Abraham. Then you have his son Isaac. Remember little Isaac that that God took up the mountain, was going to sacrifice, and at the last minute, God said, "Don't do that." He survives. So because Isaac survives, now he's had a son called Jacob, and and Jacob was one of uh, he was he was a twin. He's he's technically older brother Esau. The two of them were fighting. Right from day one, even in the womb, Rebecca, his, uh, his mum, had to go and see a prophet because things was churning around in her stomach so much. She said, what is going on? And the prophet said to her, they're fighting in there. So fights have already begun before they're born. Then they, they come out of the womb literally fighting. Esau comes out and Jacob comes out grabbing onto the heel of his technically older twin. And then the fights just keep going on from there. Sibling fights the whole time. Part of the reason for the fight too is that God had said uh, to Abraham, I'm going to bless you through your descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and I'm going to bless you through Jacob. But the thing is Jacob, Jacob was the younger son. Now in those patriarchal societies, it was always the oldest son that got the inheritance and the blessing. But God says, I'm going to bring the blessing through Jacob. Side note, that's important to note. I'm going to get to that in a second. And and so even Jacob doesn't believe that. Even even Jacob can't trust God in all of that. And so then comes the con job. The con job happens when Isaac's old, his his sight is failing. And so um, you have to understand too, the Esau, the older brother, was he was a real man's man. He was the sort of man that I would like to be. He's sort of the man that that is able to grow a beard by about three o'clock in the afternoon, right? <laughs> Whereas Jacob, on the other hand, is a little bit more like me. You know, Jacob, if it, was, if it was Movember, would have to start about now in order to grow a big beard. Esau was a hairy man. In fact, I think it's the old King James uh, Version says, Esau was a hairy man and Jacob was a smooth man. <laughs> right? Okay, so Esau's the man, man's man. And here comes the con job. Um, Jacob goes and gets, gets some hair somewhere. I don't know, he shaved a donkey or something like that. Glue sticks it to himself. Reaches out to his, um, his father, whose sight is failing, saying, give me the blessing, give me the blessing, give me the blessing. Isaac feels him. Oh, it's the hairy dude. Must be Esau. You've got my blessing, my son. And he steals it and he runs off with his father's blessing. Esau finds out about it. He's livid. And as a result, the two of them are on a, on a, a, collision, a collision trajectory for the rest of their life. They're fighting for the rest of their lives. And so this is where we come to in the story. By the river Jabbok, uh, Jacob has been fleeing his older brother his entire life. He says, now I'm gonna, finally going to face him. I'm finally going to fight him. I'm going to split my family either, either, either way in case he comes across and that way not everyone gets slaughtered. Uh, but this is it. I've been fleeing from him my whole life. I've been fighting him my whole life. If I can get rid of Esau finally once and for all, then my life will be good. All right, let's pause there for a second and make some observations. Just some observations about Jacob. Uh, we we did a we did a team devotion, ironically, on this passage this week. Just to, hap, hap, to happen serendipitously. And so, when you understand Jacob's live, life, it's one that's characterized by cheating and grabbing and stealing and manipulating and conniving. And so, there's one or two ways that we can preach this passage tonight. You know, the very traditional way would say be would be like this. It'd be, don't be like Jacob. But, but really, I think, observationally, we can see here that there's a dynamic underneath Jacob's heart that I think is so close to the way that you and I can operate. You ready for it? I think, was Jacob's problem just the lying and the stealing and grabbing? No, that was the symptoms of this underlying dynamic. You ready for the dynamic? And I think it's this. The underlying dynamic for Jacob, and it could be it's so close to being true for my heart, Because it can come from such good intentions. The underlying dynamic for Jacob is this: it's it's this. Jacob is saying, I can't trust God for my destiny, so I'm just gonna help him along a little bit. (laughs) Have you ever seen moments in your life when you're at risk of that? And doesn't it sound so reasonable? You know, that that I know that God's gonna bless me, I know that God's got promises for me, I know that God has plans and purposes for my life. I know that he's got an area of my career or it might be a relationship that you're hoping or praying for. I know that God's got, got my best interests at heart, my things for me for good at heart, but I'm just going to help him a little bit. And, and can, can you see how much trouble that it causes for Jacob and that it can cause for us when, when we say, Lord, just let me, let me help you in my own strength with your agenda. That's the first observation. Second one is this. Is there an Esau in your life? And this is what I mean by this. Jacob Jacob is, is he's there by the river Jabbok, is praying away, praying away. I'm about to go and fight my brother. If I can fight my brother and win, it's done, it's over. I can, I'm finally going to be happy. And then this guy grabs him in a headlock and wrestles him from behind. And as he's wrestling this guy all through the night, Jacob goes, hang on, hang on. I just, I just realised it wasn't, it wasn't Esau that I've been fighting all my life. It's been God that I've been fighting. Is there an Esau in your life? Is there someone or something that you've been fighting, that you think that you've been fighting your entire life, which actually helps you avoid realising that you're actually fighting God? It could be for some of you that it's it's a particular addiction. It could be for some of you it's a particular person in your family. I know in my life I've had situations where there's been family members that I've blamed for particular directions in my career path. It's their fault that they said this and did this and that's why I'm not here and, and I'm in this situation, rather than acknowledging that maybe this is all part of God's plan. Does that make sense? So a couple of things. Are you trying to help God along with his agenda for your life? But most importantly, are there things that you're fighting that really help you avoid realising that you're fighting with God. And so back to the story, here we come back. Jacob's ready to fight his brother. He says, here's the man I've been wrestling with all my life, the man that's been ruining my life. I'm going to have it out with him. I'm ready to go. Let's do it. He's praying, Lord, help me, bless me, get me ready for the morning when I go and have it out for him. And then, boom, someone grabs him in a headlock and he wrestles for hours and it's agony. And so here's, here's here's my question for us. Here's, a think, the question. Why in that mo- moment didn't God just turn up next to Jacob and say, hey, Jacob, it's me, the one that you're looking for. Why do you have to wrestle him? I mean, like, wh- why couldn't have God turned up as like a nice, half-transparent, shimmering apparition? You know, something that sort of, that sort of, S- spooky enough to feel supernatural, so you're dealing with God, but transparent enough that it feels safe and comforting. You know what I mean? I'm sort of thinking, like, why, why couldn't have God turned up like a force ghost from Star Wars? You know, like when Obi-Wan, dead Obi-Wan and Yoda turned back up? Like I can't tell you, and please don't tell me it's just me. Well, I, 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 can't, I can't tell you how many different times in my life when I've been in desperate situations that, that I've, I've prayed, Lord, if you could just show up at the end of my bed as a force ghost, like <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi, and just show me that you're real and there, <laughs> then I would be able to get through this. Is it just me? <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> but it's... Isn't that sort of what we want? Isn't that what we think really Moses was praying for last week when he was yearning for God's presence? Show me your glory, Lord. If you could just turn up as a force ghost, shimmering enough to be comfortable, spooky enough to remind us that you're God and it's supernatural, I'll be able to get through this. Why does God have to wrestle him? Why, why does he have to come in the dark? Why does he have to surprise him? More importantly, why does he have to hurt him? Isn't that the question for a lot of us? Why why, why do you have to go hurt us, God, in this whole process? Why have we got to go go through all this? And I'll speak for myself here. Um, But I I think it's like this dynamic. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with our little oil heater in the lounge room. It was built into the wall. And it was this oil heater that had these flames behind this beautiful sort of amber glass. It was just mesmerising for a little kid. I used to get like my sister's Barbies and I used to melt their heads against the (laughs) against against the oil heater, (laughs) right? I was just mesmerised by it. And time and time again, you know, Dad would be like, Sam, don't touch that, don't touch it, don't touch it, until the day where I thought I would really show Dad. And so I waited until Dad was no longer in the room and I could see that he wasn't around. And then I decided to go and pull up my little singlet on my jammies and go up and touch my stomach onto the amber glass of this oil heater in the lounge room. Just went... Um, needless to say, I never touched the oil heater again. <laughs> Here's where I'm getting at. <laughs> Why do you have to hurt him? You never learn the important things in life just by being told. Have you found that? And I don't know about you, but the important lessons in life I found the only way I ever learn is through the anger and the frustration and the disappointment. I never learned by being told. It's why as a preacher, I know, like, it, this is such a blunt instrument. This, <laughs> this, is not really going to change you. <laughs> You're not going to be changed by words, only, only until God comes and wrestles it in, wrestles it into you. So it's wrestling. God has to wrestle it into you. In fact, you know, I love C.S. Lewis is another phrase of his, where he says, God whispers to us in prosperity, but he shouts to us in adversity. Why does he have to hurt him? Because he has to wrestle it in. And so this encounter with the presence of God, here's where we are tonight. If you you want to experience the presence of God, one of the ways that you do it, it's not as a force ghost, but it's as a wrestler. And so let's look at wrestling. A couple of qualities with wrestling as we finish off tonight. Um, What is wrestling? Here's the first thing wrestling is you've got to do it alone. It says here in verse 24, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now, I'm not I'm not contradicting everything that I say about the importance of community group here. Um, but I'm saying you've got to you've got to do this, wrestle with God alone. Like, if, have you noticed how people go through phases in their faith? Have you noticed that how like you go through like a kids' church phase where everything's magical and Sharice and, and all the team and Miss Ally and all the rest of it are just amazing? And it's incredible. And then you get into youth group days and you get like 200 youth group down to some old cruddy 1975 church hall. And you think that the Shekinah glory of God is like busted through the roof and there's revival happening. We're going to change the city. And then literally about four to five years after that, um, you start going out and you go to uni and you ditch the church because we're a thinking people now. You know, I can't believe in that faith stuff. I think now I go to university, you know. And so people often drift away. And then they're away from church for years and then they come back as adults and then they have an experience with God and then they drift away and then they come back again and then they drift away and they come back again and repeat. Have you noticed this in people's lives? Why is that? I think it's this. I think it's so easy to get caught up in the activities of God's presence and never truly experience him for yourself. I mean, you can just, like the youth group camp days. I mean, you could think that it's the glory of God there, but I don't want to dismiss those sorts of moments. But maybe too, it was just a little bit of hormones and pheromones going wild when you're 15, you know, and you think it's an amazing spiritual experience. There has to be longevity to all of this. But most importantly, here's what I'm saying. Please don't come to a place like Northside or to any church for that matter and just live off the fumes of everyone else's experience of the presence of God. Does that make sense? You've got to do it alone. have got to do it alone. Here's the second thing that wrestling is. It takes focus. And then the man said, let me go for its daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I won't let you go. Um, ironically, doesn't that sound like Moses last week? Show me your glory. Uh, okay, God says, I'll be with you. Not good enough. Not good enough. Not good enough. That sounds like Moses. Um, first, first and foremost, wrestling is focus. You know, when you're wrestling, that's all you can think about, right? When you're wrestling, you're not thinking about where you're going to take your next summer holiday. God, God, when you're wrestling, now becomes the thing that you're obsessed with. You know, it's almost like people that are wrestling, they almost become, they become orbital. They just, they start to move in and they just orbit around God. He's the thing that they're either dealing with. They're either angry at him or they're rejoicing in him, but they're just orbiting him the entire, I'm getting a bit dizzy. <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? There's, there's focus. There's focus. And what I want to encourage you within in this moment, particularly if you are wrestling with God tonight, don't let go. Don't let go. Don't let go. Hold on. Hold on. So you've got to be alone and these focus. Then there's then there's contradiction. Contradiction. Have you ever wrestled? You know, re- wrestling's wrestling is what I call anti-dancing. Wrestling is anti-dancing. You know, um, Seeing as, as I got vulnerable last week, I can show you this little bit of vulnerability. But um, about seven, oh, seven, eight, nine years ago, a while ago, I took Kristen out on a date and we learned how to dance salsa. Right? So we went salsa dancing. I went on one salsa dancing lesson, so obviously I dance salsa now, right? <laughs> and so um, allow me to teach you, but in in the whole concept of, of salsa, <laughs> I'm a professional, I had one lesson. Right? It's it's dancing's Complementary, there's a mutuality. The, the, the male has to step forward on the, on the left foot and the female has to step back on the right foot. And so there's this complementary nature in the way that you're dancing and moving and. So- oh, so Oh, embarrassing. Embarrassing. That's not wrestling. Wrestling's wrestling's not mutual; it's contradictory. You know, wrestling's like bench pressing, but the but the weights press back. <laughs> Have you noticed that, it's agony. There's nothing mutual about it. And so here's what I'm getting at: until until God begins to contradict you, you're really not wrestling with Him. Until God begins to push back then you're not truly wrestling with you. Until you start to argue with him, until you start to see things in his word that you don't agree with and frustrate you or you don't think that you could live by or until you move into situations in which you think God should be doing X and he's doing Y and you're angry at him and you choose to just do Y, do his will, only then are you dealing with God because he's contradicting you, he's he's, he's pushing against you. It's like this, um, if... um, I say in all of the weddings that I do, so if I'm going to marry you, Nath, Karina, block your ears, I'll use this for your wedding. <laughs> but if you heard the wedding ceremonies that I do, you know, one of the phrases that I say is, uh, I always wish that I could have married myself. You know, if, if, and because if I had have married myself, there would be no arguments in my relationship. Oh, what do you want for dinner tonight, Sam? Oh, tie. Tie would be amazing. Oh, that sounds gorgeous. Let's do tie. That would be fantastic. you know? Be, no arguments. <laughs> But that wouldn't be a relationship, would it? Because there's no contradiction. I think people, I think a lot of people want a God like that marriage. A God just that we can sort of question him and ask for things from him and he'll just give us what we already want. That's not God. That's not a relationship. That's a God of your own creation. There's got to be, there's got to be contradiction. and You're not really encountering personally the real God if only you're allowed to question him and he's not allowed to question you. That's, that's not a relationship that you have with a living person. It's not a relationship that you have with a living God. Are you, are you, are you going to allow God to contradict you in areas of life? Then you know that you're wrestling. Here's the, here's the final one. Not, not only do you need to be alone, not only does it take focus, not only do you need to be contradicting one another, but here's the last piece, and this is the toughest. Wrestling is painful Takes pain. It says the man touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and it was permanently devastated. Just, just Jacob's wrestling with this guy all night, and he just, just a mere tap, boom, hip's gone for the rest of his life, smashed, pulverized. And this is the problem with with agony is that you know why? Why did God have to hurt Jacob in all of this? Why do you have to go smash the hip? Why couldn't they have just had a nice mutual conversation? <laughs> Right, and I think the answer is this: Parents, you you know this, you know this. To the only way to love a child is to wrestle them in to the best version of their future. Particularly if you're a parent who's had a child who's, who's gone wayward, or if a child is look, we could imagine this. You don't have to be a parent. You can imagine if you're a parent and you've got a child that's on drugs and, and they're on ice and they're going crazy. You know, any any act of love towards that child that is contradictory towards their will is going to be pain, isn't it? To not wrestle them, to not hurt them, that wouldn't be love at all. That would be indifference. You've heard me once say the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. God wrestles Jacob into this because he says, Jacob, I've got to wrestle some things off you. I've got to wrestle some things out of you that are going to destroy your life anyway if you don't do it. And and that's exactly it, isn't it? Haven't you found that the very things, the very problems that are created by a lack of love and humility and wisdom, the very problems in people's lives that are created by a lack of love and humility and wisdom are the very things that you need in order to develop a sense of love and humility and wisdom. Have you noticed that? And the only way that you transform through that is it's painful. You have to learn the hard way. The only way you learn through that is, tss, haven't we been there? I'm never doing that again. Lord, I'm never doing that again. Lord, thank you for showing me that. Oh, I hate the way that I am. Even the Apostle Paul said, what a wretched man I am. Things I want to do, I'm not doing. And the things I am doing, I don't want to do constantly wrestling with God. This is the God who says, I want to bless you. I want to make you into the person that I've destined you to be. I want to show you who you are. I want to wake you up to that. And I want to wake you up to who I am. And the only way, child, that you're going to get this is if I wrestle it out of you. And it's painful. And so I guess tonight all I'm asking is, have you got the courage to be open to that sort of pain? In other words, is there a a contradictory force in your spiritual life? Like, is there a sense that God and his word and God through his community and God through these alone encounters is pushing against you? Have you had that in your life? Because I don't think if we've had that, that we probably haven't truly encountered the wrestling God that we hear about here in Jacob's story. And if you haven't had that wrestle with God, then you haven't encountered the God that I've encountered in the wrestles that I've had with him. Is there, is there a contradictory um, force in your spiritual life at the moment, it doesn't have to be all the time, but most importantly, are you open to dealing with that? Because that's how God is going to change you for the better. I guess all I'm trying to say tonight, particularly if you're in the middle of the wrestle, is this: that God, look, God has plans not only for our suffering, but God has plans in our suffering. And so I'd say to you is, don't rush the process. I said it to a mate the other day who's gone through a hard time. Normally he's one of the most positive dudes in all of our church, but but he's. It sounds terrible for me to say this, but he's finally going through a tough time. You know, he's one of those Christians that you just think that the Lord is just blessed, and here he is going through all this hardship. And I said to him the other day as we're walking, I said, "Mate, don't rush this. There's things to be learned in the wrestling." There's things to be learned in the revelation of when this this God comes and speaks into your soul and contradicts you. There's lessons to be learned in a lady this morning that came up and prayed for me and said, Sam, I've just had a revelation through this message that I've been way too controlling with my kids and I need to repent of that and I didn't realise that until this morning and I'm so sorry, Lord. Contradictory force, something different that's pushing in and she had the courage to wrestle that through. That's what... I am suggesting to all of us as we head into this year, would it be, could it be possible that we are the sort of people that are open to this sort of wrestle with God in our lives? Not only are we yearning for Him, but are we willing to open ourselves up to Him like this? And in many ways, tonight I've just felt like I'm one of those trainers, you know, in Rocky IV, you know, the trainer that sits in the corner of the ring. I feel like each and every one of you, I've sort of prayed for you with this sort of vision that each and every one of you is sitting in the corner and you're getting ready for a wrestle. And I've just got the Vaseline out, getting over a few of your wounds, a few black eyes, getting the mouth guard ready, trying to get a few smelling salts underneath the nose here saying, come on, come on, you're ready. Because I know more than anyone else that these words alone are not going to change you. Only an encounter with the contradictory wrestling force that is God is that going to shake you out of the realities in which you live each and every day. May we be a people that's open to wrestling with God. Then, if we are, we might truly experience his presence. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for anyone tonight who is in the middle of this wrestle. I pray that you would maybe just through these words or through your spirit this week, uh, comfort them, Father, not necessarily through the soothing balm of answered prayers, according to our agendas but father maybe just um, by the way that your spirit would bring our minds back to this passage in this story of jacob and the reality of the way in which he was transformed after a wrestle with you may we each declare that there is work in the waiting there is work in the wrestling may we each have the courage to be open to be shifted and changed by you may we each have the faith that dares to believe lord god that you know how much that each and every one of us can handle. May we each have the faith that there's Lord God to declare that you are big enough to handle our cries of frustration and anger and blame. May we find grace and peace in your invitation to bring it all before you, Heavenly Father. May we find comfort that you don't stand outside of us but you meet us in the midst of these wrestles that we have in our lives. Thank you for that, Father. We thank you in advance for what it is that you will do through us. And we await to see the ways in which you'll work. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: For more info and all the latest Northside news and events, visit northsidechurch.org.au today.